it's like the Olympics. So it, no one can say, tell me about, tell me about the Olympics to someone who doesn't know anything about the Olympics. Like, how could you explain everything about the Olympics to somebody? And that's what esports is. And that's kind of the challenge. You know, you have to be super targeted about what you're talking to and who you're talking, you know, what you're talking about and who you're talking to. You're listening to the Humans at Game podcast. This week I had on Rebecca, who I met in uh, Minnesota during the Call of Duty, the inaugural Call of Duty tournament. Um, I, don't, I don't have a long intro this time. It's a pretty long episode, but a really, really good episode. I loved all of her answers, a lot of insight just um, into her world, the, thing that, the things that she's working on, and um, just how to get plugged in into esports, which I think a lot of people will find value in. So I'll just, I'll leave it at that. Just as always, I appreciate all of the reviews, all of the feedback, all of the guest recommendations. I do have a lot of episodes just backlogged that I, I need to edit. Um, but thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for all of it. I read all of the reviews. I read everything that you guys send me. So just thank you for allowing me to do what I love. Um, and I hope you guys enjoy. I hope you all enjoy this episode as much as I did recording it. Yeah, but that's dope. I love all of that. And I totally agree. Um, even like just what I've done, like it's, I've only had this podcast since like November, December, and it's just insane how many people I've met just because of this. And like so many gamers are like, oh my God, I'd love to be on a podcast. And none of them, <laughs> none of them have been on shows or anything. It's crazy. Yeah, it's insane because they're always in front of a camera too. They're always streaming and none of them have been on podcasts. That's interesting. I'm getting a lot of yeah. traditional athletes reaching out to me from the NBA, NFL, and, and soccer, um, really interested in the space, not really sure where they should insert themselves, feeling a little almost insecure about even asking, right? Like, do I belong and mm. will I be accepted and who can help me? And it's been interesting to have the conversations. I've been having conversations with pro athletes about, you know, business acumen and personal branding for a while. Now it's the conversations have really been, where is there room? Is there room for me as a thought leader? Is there room for me as, um, as an investor and how do I navigate that? And is, should I be streaming? Should I, should I be just trying to speak at events? Like it, it's been really cool to see this crossover um, and just an excitement around what this new industry is built because what I've noticed is a lot of, a lot of pro athletes that travel a lot spend a lot of their downtime gaming and they have for the last 10 years, Yes. you know, yes. so it's a cool kind of cross culture. Yeah, it is. I'm fascinated by like the the blend between esports and music and even like traditional sports and fashion. It's just, there's so much there. Yes. You know? There's a, there's a lot of industry crossovers where they're deeply embedded. Skateboarding is one and both my yes. kids skate and both my kids game. Um, and I think if somebody really wants to make a, a, a big investment in the space would be, retail 
that is elevated. I know there's MetaThreads does a beautiful job with a lifestyle brand that's esports focused, but um, Alt, I think, just made an announcement that they're doing something. Uh, but when you look at the landscape of what's going on in esports and some of the traditional ways that that the traditional sports brands are navigating, you know, using platforms to just kind of take on our merch, we don't want to think about it. Um, what it's created is a lot of really lazy merchandise, just like logos slapped on boring things, and the yeah. the feel is not elevated. Like what I would really love to see is. Um, something with the quality of locally here we have a company called unreal it's like unrl and they they do a lot in hockey but they're everything is like really beautifully fit and the fabrics are just supple and soft and like there's a lot of intention that goes behind the design um to be able to build a fashion brand specific to esports could completely take off that's not my wheelhouse. I'm not about it. But, but somebody, yeah. I think that's going to be one of the bigger things. Where if I if I'm gonna predict, because I see it as a huge need, and I see my kids wanting. They're wearing skate gear, and there's skate brands like Vans out there that are super popular. And I go to my son's middle school, and all the kids are wearing Vans. They're wearing Converse. They don't skate. None of them skate. They just love the brand. And so if there's an mm-hmm. elevated merch brand then you can then you can use all of the crossover because you can use influencers that game from skateboarding from traditional sports from music and just amplify it instead of just focusing specifically on specific gamers or streamers you make it a lifestyle you make it the culture you make it fan culture yeah i agree and it's it's definitely needs that blend i think right now even just from a merch standpoint there's so many brands it's just it's all about the money you know like let's drop shipping blah 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 let's use the cheapest material like thousand percent but esports as a whole like one thousand percent just needs those needs that out outside influence from business people from from skating from um traditional sports you know like i i one thousand percent agree so we're not just reaching the same people but you're working on some really cool stuff. I could give an intro. I could, <laughs> I've, I've dug through all your stuff, but I'd, I'd love from your perspective because I know you're involved in some really, really cool stuff like Brickhouse Ventures, Mission Control, and we talked a little bit about it before um, we rolled this episode. But can you give an intro? Tell everybody what you're working on because it is really, really rad. Yeah, for sure. So my background is in um, sports marketing and advertising. I, I've been started about 20 years ago in that industry and really focused on, you know, digital marketing and innovation and the Timberwolves and Lynx were a client of mine along with um, the NBA as a whole and Orlando Magic and some other really fun properties um, that were focused on sports entertainment. But um, I went in-house at the Wolves for a number of years. I left. I've been kind of doing my own thing for, for a few years, um, launched my own kind of consulting brand called Happy Warrior and it really, it, it was really stemmed by just people asking me to help them through certain things. Um, and, and it stemmed from working with agencies on events and go-to-market strategy to working with corporate brands on marketing and branding to specifically with athletes on their personal branding camps and clinics 
and I even produced a show for two years with our former governor, um, Jesse Ventura, um, that we shot in Northeast Minneapolis called Off the Grid, and I, I worked on his podcast as well. Um, so Happy Warrior was just like, it, it was bred from a way for me really to just follow my own passions and take a lot of risks and be authentic to what I loved to do every day. And um, now what has, what transpired about three years ago is I started, um, I got connected through the founders of Sports Engine in Minnesota to Stadia Ventures to be uh, a judge for one of their startup competitions that they do twice a year. And it was very, they're very focused on sports tech and esports investments. So for the last three years, I've been really hyper focused on learning about esports and kind of waiting for the rest of the world to catch up, waiting for the mainstream to catch up. And and we're close to a really big tipping point. I mean, esports is already here, like we're here, we're living it. But there's still a lot of awareness and understanding that that needs to happen. So um, what I do <laughs> is I'm, I'm working <laughs> with some startups on their go-to-market strategy, serving as an advisor, making strategic connections to businesses, to brands. I'm working with some VCs globally, one in London, one here right in the U.S., and then Brickhouse Ventures, as you mentioned, in Canada. They're just launching um, Vancouver and Toronto working with those guys to help make connections with investors who want to be involved in what they're doing. They're all sports tech and esports focused VCs, helping maybe connect some startups that are reaching out directly to me that I think are really interesting. So I'm encouraging them to apply to different cohorts. Um, and then I'm also you know, going physically to pitch competitions and judging and mentoring a select number of those through the VC that they think I would be a help, you know, to to the yeah. startup. Yeah. And I look at things from a different lens. M most of the people in the room um, have a lot of, you know, financial acumen or maybe business owner acumen <laughs> at a large level. I always sit in these spaces and feel like I'm surrounded by greatness and I don't know how I got a seat at the table. I think a lot of people probably <laughs> feel like that in those rooms. But what I bring that's different is not only the in-house experience with a sports team and physically working on taking new technology and embedding it into processes and protocols and the systems that exist, but building brands for so many years and working in advertising with, um, with really big thought leaders and, and compelling creative and bringing that thought leadership from that go-to-market strategy and not just investment strategy and how to, the way you convince um, an investor to believe in what you're building is very different than giving a really heartfelt story and a why of that's going to take a consumer across the line to buy what you're building, whether it's a service or a product. Um, I think that's what makes it different. That's what makes me different is I'm able to see that and articulate it. And um, I can look at a, a deck that a startup is sending to me and I can just completely break it down really quickly and say, here's everything you're missing, restructure it this way. You know, you're, you're you need hired graphic designer, you need to have a writer, your positioning is off. And it takes me like, 10 minutes of what would take somebody a lot longer just because I've seen so many 
You know, you just see, you see what's good again and again and again. And when you see something that's not at that level, you can quickly help kind of disseminate what, what needs to be done next. Um, I also speak. So I am super passionate about speaking within the industry as a thought leader and sharing insights. Um, but I'm really passionate about speaking to the next generation. So um, I'm making, you know, this, this year is a huge effort for me, kind of advocating for myself and putting myself out there to do more of that. Oh, good. You're doing a good job. I, um, for the people listening, how we met, um, I was standing with my girlfriend and she just walked up to us and said, who are these people? I like, the, I like the way you're dressed, you know, you're putting yourself out there and I dig it. Um, but you said something in there that I want to dig a little bit deeper in. And it's just like a lot of people, when they say esports, like a lot of people just immediately think teams and organizations. So like, from your perspective, like what are some of these, what are these startups working on? You know, just so the listeners have a better idea of like what, what all goes into esports because it's not just teams, it's not just organizations. Right, and I'm glad you asked that question because I, I know a little bit about the teams, the leagues, players, and I mean a little bit, like a sliver. Um, I've worked for a pro team, so I get their world. I could easily navigate in that world, but when it comes to the startups that I'm talking with and the VCs and what they're looking for, if you, a lot of people throw around, you know, the world wild, the words wild west when they're talking about esports, and the reason mm -hmm. why it's seen as this wild west is there's not like a governing body holistically in esports. There's advantages to that, right? But there's also a little bit of disadvantage because there's no data that is. Um, easily available or attainable without digging through a bunch of different things. So you, it's hard to track players through one system and another. Um, it's, it's hard to, to gather assets or content um, holistically. So where I really love to focus and a lot of the startups uh, that are emerging as kind of the next unicorns are focused on is infrastructure. How can you mm -hmm. create and use data analytics SaaS platforms, maybe utilizing some API plugins and um, to, to gather content or create from the ground up a platform in which is infrastructurally sound that can serve the entire esports community and the teams, the games, the players, the streamers, everything can flow seamlessly um, in and out on top, right? Just like the ebbs and flows on top of, of this system. So um, some examples of that, um, I think the best example of that that everyone's going to understand is uh, a company called ESPAT, it's E-S-P-A-T, and what they have developed, and they're a super smart team, what they've developed is utilizing some of their knowledge of working with NFL photos and experience working with Getty is creating a platform and a content library for editorial usage that brings together all of the content captures and they have their own shooters and videographers. They're shooting globally all the major events and they're putting them in one entity. And mm. it will allow right now any publication to go and, and pull and resource an image to write about an event without having to capture that content themselves or bring in a special shooter or get special credentials to gather that. Um, 
But, you know, down in the road in the future, when you think about traditional brands like a, a snack company that wants to do a campaign, they can do a campaign targeted to the gaming community without having to do a partnership with an entity, with a brand, with a team. They can buy a, an esports image, a commercial licensed image, and then create um, an ad campaign with language that speaks to people who love video games, that speaks to the esports community. So that is really, I think, a brilliant startup um, led by the right team, really smart founders. Um, Ed Brooks is um, one of their founders, and he's just an awesome guy. And, and you know, they saw the gap because they were already utilizing that in traditional sports. They were using um, those image libraries already. There wasn't something for esports, and they were smart enough to jump on it and build it from the ground up. So I know um, Ed's going to be speaking at the um, uh, Esports Trade Association event that's happening in Chicago in April. So if there's people in the industry that are really interested in checking out that event, they can hear Ed really share his story from his own words of why ESPAD exists. But those are the things I'm interested in, right? These are the companies that are really looking at the industry as a whole and saying, we're gonna create something that serves everybody. Um, during the gold yeah. rush, a lot of people talk about the money wasn't finding gold. The money was selling the picks and shovels. That's what I'm looking for, picks and shovels startups. I love that. I absolutely love that. And talking more about the gap, um, you, you mentioned like the Timberwolves and let's say, um, and Timberwolves just as an example, but the sales teams within the, sim, or within the Timberwolves, like someone plays basketball from grade school to maybe college, you know, and then they loved basketball, but they were never going to go to the NBA, you know, so they get into this organization. Um, there's a lot of business gap in esports. So can you just talk a little bit about what that is, like maybe what those positions look like and how more people can get involved if they're interested. Yeah, for sure. I mean, what's happening now in esports is, as we've all seen, it's been it's been growing exponentially. It's, it's been a massive growth and there's been a, almost a clamor for getting talent in that can work maybe within a team and serve it in the best way possible. So um, the majority of revenue in esports is coming from brand partnerships and I think that's an area that everyone's trying to figure out right now. You have to convince a traditional brand to invest in esports. So mm. if you are a lover of gaming and esports and you have a strong business acumen, going after um, a role within an esports organization and sponsorship sales I think would be extremely advantageous because you're uniquely positioned to talk about the key demographic that you're going to reach. Um, which is why, and, and, I, and I was sharing with you earlier about, you know, the, the, the people that work within pro teams oftentimes are super passionate about the franchise that they're working for or the game that they're working for, whether it's a football team or the NBA. And what I did see when I worked for the Timberwolves in-house as their brand manager was a lot of sales professionals there, they were lovers, longtime lovers of basketball. They knew the game in and out. They were fans. They're still plugged into the fan community and they were great salespeople because they they were able to speak the passion and they were able to connect with the fan at that level and speak yeah. the language yeah. really well. I think there's gaps. I think there's a lot of gaps right now with with esports 
teams that are hiring traditional salespeople that that don't have a strong esports acumen and don't understand um, the key demographic and the target demographics. And I'll tell you, they vary like they vary based on Olympics games. Based, you know, fans of Dota are very different than fans of PUBG. Um, yeah. Not that they all have pro teams, but everybody, whether you're a local high school amateur team all the way up to if you're a pro Call of Duty team, you need sponsors. So how do you create the best team for that? And I believe that um, being able to have salespeople that have a background in esports, even if it's just the gaming side, is is going to be a, a big shift over the next few years, bringing in esports subject matter experts to really lead and guide sales teams or be embedded within the sales teams to get those brands um, and that brand revenue really across the, the table because the audience, and, and you know because you love gaming, and I, I sure a lot, I'm sure a lot of people who listen to your podcast understand the level of sophistication, the audience within esports, that level of sophistication is just so elevated. I, mean, I have a 13-year-old who uh, is like a 40-year-old brain. He's, <laughs> he's so some completely smart and articulate, digitally savvy. You can't bullshit that kid. No, you cannot, you cannot pander to this crowd. They will see right through you. A little bit different in traditional sports. You know, traditional sports, the fan dynamic is just a little bit more um, willing to be sold to and um, not as hyper-connected to each other the way that esports fans are because esports fans are creating um, really intimate communities through Discord and Reddit that um, are they're sharing information real time all the time and they're going to call it a brand really really quickly and traditional sports fans are a lot more forgiving in that way they don't they're not they're not as um, picky <laughs> I would say yeah no you mentioned a couple things in there that I really want to dive a little bit deeper into first like and I think it's very important like the sales piece like I remember like back in college I'm like damn why would anybody want to be a salesperson you know and all I thought about really was like you're selling insurance or you're doing something you're not passionate about and I hated sales I hated the idea of speaking at all or talking to anyone at all honestly and then it wasn't until I started my own business where I'm like damn like, I don't give a fuck who you are. We step in the same room, we're selling, we're pitching for, we're bidding for something. I'm gonna beat you every single time. And it's the passion that I have, you know? So I love that you mentioned that passion um, behind sales because I, it's, it's a big piece of why, like, we sell, you know, it's a big piece of why, like we're getting deals. We're having our best um, year in business now. We're only in quarter one and it's because we're passionate about it, you know? So I, I love that you mentioned that, and I think it's crucial for the success um, any esports brand or company to be able to, to sell, and you need passionate people to yeah. sell, so and I love that. To go deeper on it, it is really about being able to articulate to somebody what they're missing out on, because there's going to be a cost of missing out in this space. Esports is already here. so you have an opportunity to get your brand or your message in front of this audience, which is oftentimes misunderstood, right? They're thought of as kids just playing video games in the basement and not really understanding the key demographics, like looking through the Nielsen report of 
of um, really who is this target demographic and what's their household income and what are they spending. And there's a lot of opportunity here. And it's not that scary. I think for me, being uniquely positioned to bridge the gap, to convince the brands and then strategically align them, there needs to be more of that. There need to be you know, more, of, more of me being out there and being an advocate for it. Um, but it's just about sharing the story of why you wanna be in that room and why you want your brand in front of this audience. There's already yes. existing characteristics or demographics or stats that a brand will have that they can pull and it already exists in esports. It's just really changing the executional style of how you're going to get in front of them. And they're not used to doing that. And it is scary because when you work in-house on a, on a, you know, a corporate brand, you just do the same, you come in and you kind of do the same thing. And it's like the yearly cycle of, of the ups and downs and this event that you're going to be doing or this activation that you do. And to layer something in as, as big as this, it probably feels daunting and a little laborious. And someone's going to have to say, I'm willing to do another job. I'm willing to take another thing on my plate and maybe not get compensated for it now. We need the disruptors. We need the risk takers in large corporate brands to be able to say, I'm going to kind of run with it and and put it underneath put it underneath my belt and spend an extra you know, hour a day researching so that we can take this risk before it hurts them. Um, yes. And it has yes. to be done really thoughtfully. You have to be authentic to the audience, which is kind of, I think, where a lot of brands are feeling handcuffed. And there's, um, there's room for them to maybe bring in an outsider that's been in-house in the industry or been working already within esports to help them kind of put that strategy together and solve that nugget to say, it's not as scary as you think. And based on what you build, what your product is, what your service is, here's the crossover in the demographic and here's how we can track it. And here's, here's 10 different things you could do. And there's nonprofit strategy, um, working with like a gamers outreach and putting console games for kids in hospitals. Now it's a write-off. Now you're in esports. you can do a press release and you've just helped bring video gaming to teenagers at a children's hospital going through cancer that can't leave their room, right? You can put together a retail strategy to transform your retail space and bring esports into your retail location. Now you're driving sales. Now you have a space for people to congregate. Um, there's so many really fresh, cool ideas where you don't have to just do a partnership with a team. Um, you can work with some of these startups on some of the platforms that they're doing and do mobile, you know, mobile um, ads that are tied in together, or partnerships, um, doing digital ads. Doing, there's there's so much stuff within media that you can layer into existing esports entities that you can test and replenish. Doing geo location push ads that you just create your content and your narrative specific to the audience at an esports gaming event and you just hit and target the venue during the duration um, and just track your your ad revenue and then you can see whether or not it was successful and then you can dip in a little bit more. I'm not, I'm not a media strategist and I don't work in media but 
I've created enough campaigns that utilize it that you can see what's successful or not. And there's some really yeah. inexpensive ways to dip your toe in the water and get in front of this community. And I think more brands just need to say, we are willing to be a disruptor and we're willing to take a risk. Agreed. Absolutely. A lot of opportunities as well. Um, can you can you talk to me about like, I know you said three years ago is really when it changed for you, but like, how did that happen? Um, why why the interest in Completely esports? Completely organically. Um, Stadia Ventures uh, had already been investing in sports technology and entertainment tech. That was kind of their, um, they were known for that. And there's, there's a lot of uh, investment companies that have been focused on sports technology. And just to explain a little bit about what that is in a way um, anybody who loves sports is going to understand. If you go to a, a sporting event, you used to have to have a paper ticket for every single sporting event, right? Um, and now there's an app for 90% of it. That's sports technology. Some sports tech startup discovered a way to make tickets mobile and put them into an app and transfer them and download them and um, resell that sports technology. Um, it transforms the way that traditional sports was being done, old paper processes and making them digital. Um, then what was happening organically with Stadia Ventures is twice a year they put out a call for startups to apply online to be considered to pitch live and then go into their accelerator program where they have access to funding as well as mentors that are industry-wide that will help them you know accelerate their startup we started seeing hmm. esports technology companies that were startups that were already making great traction apply to the cohort and one of them made it through the live pitch. It was really interesting, and there, but you know, in the room there weren't a ton of people who really even understood that industry. I mean, we're getting esports startups a little over three years ago applying to a sports technology cohort, and really they are they are the same esports. It is it is a sport, so we have to take a serious look at it. And the team at Stadia, and I'm I'm just a subject matter expert that comes into Stadia. I, I don't officially have an employment contract with them or anything. It's just the type of an of a space where it's advantageous to be involved. It's it, everyone kind of, it's a win-win. Um, it's a very altruistic space yeah. to be involved in. So um, they went away and did a lot of research and then decided to expand Stadia to not only the location in St. Louis, but to add Frisco, Texas because of you know what was happening with complexity gaming going down to Frisco and just the growth of, of the Dallas community and Frisco community um, with esports and brought in just a whole new wave of subject matter experts that really were deep in esports for many years and, and existing esports subject matter experts so that we could specifically target these startups and say, please apply. Now we, now we have the bandwidth and the right people in the room to evaluate and decide whether it makes sense for you to to come into the cohort. Um, so it really happened organically. Um, I was working with an agency at the time in Minneapolis and their founder was super passionate about Overwatch. So I, for about six yes. months prior to the esports company starting to apply to Stadia, I was 
researching a lot about Overwatch and esports and reading the Esports Observer and just trying to learn about the industry because the guy that I was working with was so passionate about Overwatch and we were kind of kicking around the idea of, of um, working on maybe like a, a way to sponsor Overwatch players and I would help them with player development because I've done that in traditional sports. It never really took off. It didn't, we didn't you know, pull the trigger on it, but going through that exercise, I had already learned a lot about the industry. I knew it was a viable industry um, and I just haven't stopped learning. I love to learn and um, I haven't gotten sick of it, I guess. I guess I'm in it because I haven't gotten <laughs> sick of it. <laughs> it's just always it's so intriguing. It is. Yeah. Um, speaking of learning, just for my own interests, because um, from the investment side, I, I have bootstrapped everything I've ever owned, which of course there are advantages to that, but there are also disadvantages to that. Um, and we've had a lot of people approach us um, a lot of people would protest and I honestly like it's not aligned with where we're going right now. So I just shrug it off and one, I don't understand a lot of it because it's just not my world. Um, can you talk to me just a little bit about what, what are a lot of these firms looking at um, when they're looking at these, when they're looking at these startups? Uh, it varies. I would say um, I'm focused on VC funding, which is very different than um, other forms of, of funding early stage venture capitalist. So this is, these are the types of more, um, the bigger risk takers, I would say in investment. So, um, I'm not, um, I'm, I, I don't know everything about finance, so, um, I'm not going to, you know, try to over communicate anything that, and, and, and be wrong. But, um, the things that each are looking for are a little bit different in terms of how early you are, uh, how much money some of them are looking for, some are saying you have to have a million dollars of revenue every year before we even want you to apply. Some are not. Some of these are saying we just need an idea and if we think it's really, really good, we're gonna take part of your company, right? They're gonna take up probably a higher percent if it's that early and they're gonna come alongside you and help you build it. Um, but I'm completely bootstrapped. I mean, I'm just figuring it out. And I've talked to a lot of other startups that started with bootstrapping or reaching out to friends and family and giving them, you know, virtual shares. I mean, they're shares that might become worth something someday. Um, they're worth like a fraction of a penny at the, at the time. Um, <laughs> but you know, it's, there's, there's a few different ways. I know there's some startups in esports that went straight to private equity. So when you go to private equity, you're, you're getting uh, a big chunk of money for a big chunk of your company and you can just hit the ground running. I think a lot of companies, startups that I've that I've witnessed and watched become successful have started by bootstrapping. They're quietly building. Um, usually have a really good balance of founders. So yeah. someone who is the face, really able to sell ideas in, talk passionately, understand the why story, the whole Simon Sinek circle. They're able to speak to that, while the other partner or partners are data scientists or developers that can start building. Um, and then when you have the engine kind of built, you can prove out the concept, get a little bit of funding, maybe hire a front end designer to do some usability and skin it, make it look really pretty, um, start doing some beta testing. Once you have some results and some beta testing, then maybe you can do a, another small raise um, to continue to, to build it out and, and create some case studies. Uh, 
and that's on a tech side. So there's, there's, it's just so vast. It's hard to say what the yeah. secret thing is. Uh, startups reach out to me quite a bit and just ask. And sometimes there's ways for me to help them. Sometimes I'm, I'm just not the right person. I had a startup reach out to me. We were kind of going back and forth on what they were, they were looking for. They're actually becoming very successful. They're building out some really cool technology that's applicable right now to Legal Legends and Dota 2. And they, what they need, I'm not going to be the right solve for them. So, you know, we've had a few different conversations and then I said, you know, I'm really tied in with a lot of non-endemic brands. I, I don't know enough actual gaming companies or are, you know, the, the actual endemic product brands that you really need to be strategically aligned to. I'm just not going to be able to pull you there. There's probably somebody that is deeper within the esports industry that will be able to make those connections. So, you know, I don't have an answer for everybody. I'm, I'm no one ever has an answer for everybody in this industry. It's just so vast. It's like um, Jason Tricano, who put on that um, player up tournament with Mystic Lake. He owns all of our gaming. He put it like said the most brilliant thing to me a couple of years ago about esports. He said esports is like it's like the Olympics. So no one can say, tell me about, tell me about the Olympics to someone who doesn't know anything about the Olympics. Like, how could you explain everything about the Olympics to somebody? And that's what esports is. And that's kind of the challenge. You know, you have mm -hmm. to be super targeted about what you're talking to and who you're talking, you know, what you're talking about and who you're talking to and what's really going to be applicable to that. Um, and I've said in like other interviews, one thing that really bothers me about some of the you know, startups are doing it sometimes. Um, some of the teams, salespeople do it, but they're going into a potential, maybe like a CMO of a, of a brand and they're talking about esports as a whole and they're throwing around these super big numbers like esports, a billion dollars, blah, blah, blah. And it's just, I think it's not responsible because if you're a pro sports team, you don't sell all of sports as like a $487 billion industry to a brand. You sell what you're actually doing, who your actual audience is, your team, your fans, what data you have then to give them in return. That's what brands are really looking for, access to people whose eyeballs are on you. So. There's a lot of, of overvaluation happening. There's a lot of overstating yes. and overselling that to me, it bothers me because if brands are buying in based on uh, overvaluations and overselling and overstating what esports is and they think they're gonna have access to that somehow and, and they're not, they go to some type of an activation or they or they pay to be attached to um, a, a, a Twitter stream and really there's not a lot of subscribers and there's not a lot of followers or not a lot of people really show up to the thing, um, then it hurts the entire industry because that brand is going to tell other brands that and they're going to judge esports. They're not going to just judge one salesperson who, you know, overstated. Yeah, I love that. I love that. There's a lot of a lot of that just across the board, and a lot of dumb money as well. Uh, could you talk to me about the how's the Minnesota um, esports scene? It's growing. It's been kind of fun to watch. And for a while, there weren't a lot of us here. Um, 
there's a little local meetup that happens every few months. And the first time that I went, I think there were like maybe seven or eight people there. And now it's just growing so quickly and it's been really wonderful to see. So obviously we've got the Call of Duty team. That's been the biggest development that we've had. And um, that's where we met was at that launch event. That Call of Duty team has really helped put Minnesota and the Midwest esports market on the map. Um, and I hope that it just continues to grow from there. So the team at Wise Ventures is um, putting together that Wise Esports division and, and focusing first on this Call of Duty team. And, and they won both their matches in that first um, launch event, yes. so that was fun. Um, the fans were super engaged. The room, the energy in the room was phenomenal throughout the entire event. I don't think there was much leg time at all. They have the coolest... I don't know if you want to call it a mascot, but did you see the big rocker, like nine foot tall thing, kind of like creepily walking around? Oh yeah, that was scary as hell. I, I was I was at the bar, Twitter. I was like, what, what the fuck is that? But it was awesome. It was awesome. Super cool, like really awesome. I don't know. I just love the I love the energy of that brand. I loved the event. I think the Armory is the most perfect venue for that. I don't know if there was any yes. venue that could have done a better job. Um, so the entire event I thought was super engaging. I had my 13 year old with me one day. I had my 19 year old daughter, um, at the event with one of her friends another day. They both just completely soaked it in and loved it. I think it was, you know, teenage friendly. Plus it was really engaging for, for an older audience as well. Um, there's also some startups that are brewing. I mean, in Minnesota, here in the Twin Cities, we do have IBM. We have Bill LaVore, Barry, who, who you know. You just had him on a, a couple of weeks ago. Yes. Um, yes. He is uh, the godfather in our town. We call ourselves a, the Minneapolis Mafia of, of people in esports <laughs> that really hang with Bill. Um, you have other really exciting things happening um, with traditional sports kind of crossing over into esports. So we've got the NBA 2K team here with uh, the mm. Timberwolves ownership group owns that and is run and led by the Timberwolves uh, team. And um, it's been really cool to see them. They are national, you know, they won the national championship, really great team, super amazing. Like one of the coolest uh, facilities that's in the Skyway. So you can look at their little training facility right from the Skyway. So 30,000 people are walking by that every single day, which is great for, for esports. Um, Jack Links is a Minnesota brand. They are now sponsoring Envy Gaming. I think they worked with Wisdom Gaming on that deal. Uh, Wisdom Gaming is a you know true startup in esports that they're trying to work on making strategic connections. Uh, they're doing um, they're taking a big risk. They're staffing. Uh, they definitely have the capacity to to do things in the space. It's just our brand's going to be ready to to pull the trigger on some yeah. things. Um, so it's, it's wonderful. We have some really fun startups. Like I said, you know, Jason Tricano with Elevar Gaming is based out of Minnesota. He is the one who is, um, working in, uh, conjunction with, with, uh, Mystic Lake Casino and, and utilizing the team with Shift Up to put on this really hyper engaging kind of amateur tournament. Um, they're doing it twice a year. It was last weekend. Uh, I loved it. I think it's a really fun activity. It's definitely all ages appropriate. Um, they had really good sponsors and partners there uh, from different product lines that were um, showing different gaming equipment that they have to the U.S. Army Esports was there kind of talking about being in the National Guard. So um, that event and Jason Tricano, he's really been a leader in the industry 
We also have some sports betting subject matter experts in town here um, and, and esports uh, lawyers that are, are um, speaking nationally and they're, and they're a great representation of what we're doing in the city. I think it's just going to grow. It's going to continue to grow. When is it going to be profitable for the entities that are building it out? That is kind of yet to be seen. We need more brands to um, to get involved. We need more brands to understand the power of the dollars um, uh, that that the fans have. You know that that key demographic I think is a really powerful demographic. So if we could get brands to really start investing in, especially the local Minneapolis community, we have some phenomenal brands in Minnesota. We have some of the largest companies in the United States based in the Twin Cities. To me, it just seems like a no-brainer to start getting involved and starting local and then creating a national esports strategy from there. I agree. It's it's very cool seeing, because um, I'm originally from Minneapolis. Um, I grew up in St. Paul, so it's really cool just seeing my hometown actually do something because there's not a not a lot going on in Milwaukee, which is sad, but um, I do travel a lot. But I, I only have a few more questions left. Lastly, um, or second to last, I was reading uh, one of your comments on Instagram, and it was freaking hilarious. I just started dying laughing. <laughs> it was on uh, it was on Ninja's uh, like TikTok post, basically, but it was on Instagram, and he's just like, when your parent says pause the game um, while you're, and it's an online game, you can't pause it, of course. And you commented, I am one of those parents, and I work in gaming, so I'd love to just get your perspective about kids, kids in gaming. I literally say, I know, I do, I work in gaming, I do, but I still say it. Like, I'm still a mom. So Roman, my 13-year-old, who um, I, I actually posted yesterday on my own Instagram about, I don't know how much longer he's gonna let me believe that I'm his best friend, but he's definitely my best friend. Um, so Roman. Obviously, he's a gamer, and I will try to call him downstairs. It's literally the ninja thing. It cracks me up. <laughs> and I will, like, holler up the stairs for him to come downstairs for, like, dinner or to help me move something or what, just to be my friend, just so I'm not lonely. So I'll be calling him, and he's not coming, and then I kind of stomp up the stairs and go to his room, and he's sitting, usually just, like, sitting with his little um, PC game he has like an msi whatever and he's got his headset on i'm like roman roman come on i need you and he's like i'm in the middle of a game i'm like well just come down and he looks at me and the way he looks at me is like <laughs> you know i'm in the middle of a game you know like i know we both know and i and i have i used to ask him to pause it all the time so it's really funny and um he will ask me and I have to be better, like I know the value and I still need to be better at it. I have to put myself in check all the time. He likes to play Skate 3 on mm -hmm. the Xbox. That's like one of the console games he enjoys. So he'll say, mom, come watch me on Skate 3. And, and as a parent, we get really lazy with our kids. We just do. And I think this is something you have to be intentional and deliberate in order to help foster your children in the world of esports. So a lot of times I want to be like, no, I don't want to sit and watch you play skate. <laughs> but I do it and I should do it more. I must do it more because as, as a parent and, and this is obvious, right? There's two, two dynamics that happen. One is parents, give their kids from a very young age a piece of technology, go turn on a movie, go to your room and play your video game or get out of my way to do the thing so that I can do my thing. 
But then when the parent wants to engage with their kid, they get frustrated that the kid is enthralled with a video game. So that's my big, like, knock it off mom and dad type of a type of a thing. And I felt it when I was growing up playing Nintendo, where my parents would, like, have friends over to have dinner and they would like send us to the living room to play Nintendo. So we would get out of their hair so they could have adult conversation. So I know it like it's a cycle. So I feel it. But then here's the other thing. If you are willing to sit in the rain while your two year old plays shitty soccer every freaking Saturday, you should be willing to sit next to your child while they're playing a video game. Your child is not going to be a pro soccer player. Like, it, they're just not. And chances are your kid might not be a pro gamer. It's not about that. It's about feeding and, and breathing life into what your kids enjoy and nurturing that. And there's a lot of conversation around traditional sports and all the things that are wonderful about traditional sports, leadership, you know, you're learning from a coach, you're a part of a team, all of those things apply to esports. And even deeper than that, encouraging your children to game and taking it a step further and enjoying it with them and asking them questions and exploring together things about gaming, uh, the gaming industry, video game design, development. I mean, I talked about all of the things that are happening infrastructurally using data analytics, AR, VR, AI, all these buzzwords, pick an acronym. There, there's jobs behind that. There's event production in, in esports. I mean, you saw the production put on at the Armory. That's a huge production. There's a lot of gaps in soundstage and lighting engineering that need to be filled with the next generation. What a great way to foster a love for gaming with your kids, involve yourself with it, and open up their minds and their hearts to exploring and pursuing careers in STEM that they can now apply into gaming and esports and be a part of it. Um, that's what I started doing with my son when he was nine and he was really into Minecraft. He was kind of hyper obsessed with it. So I said, listen, if you, if you want to play Minecraft, to play Minecraft, I think it's really cool. He was learning about iron ore and copper and all sorts of really cool um, you know, earth elements and how they're used and what's strong and what's not and how do you build stuff. Now I said, let's take a look at what type of programs are out there for nine-year-olds. And I stumbled upon um, ID Tech, which is a summer program that you can sign your kids up for. And they were hosting it at McAllister College. So he went for a full week and learned how to build Minecraft mods. Now, mm. he's, now he's in the game and he's building mods in the game. And that really fostered a love for him to start coding and learning about the tech side um, of video games. I brought him to meet um, Mark Jensen from Space 150, uh, who's, who's been at Space 150, which is the digital ad agency in town. But he used to be a video game designer. And so Roman and I met him for coffee. And Roman was able just to talk to him and like have his eyeballs popping out of his head how cool he thought <laughs> this guy was. And he still is. And we saw him at the Call of Duty tournament. And Roman you know, is like 5'8 now and 13 years old and is able to see this guy who talked to him four years ago and he was just like the little the little guy. But um, that is the power of proper parenting when it comes to nurturing what your kids are interested in. 
and not just thinking about it as a waste of time or a thing you do or allow your kids to do when you want them out of your hair. I think um, a lot of parents need to understand that. Um, there's even a lot of articles coming out right now where there's data behind the number of gamers that are in STEM careers and pursuing STEM careers. Uh, I'd much rather my child go pursue a, a STEM career uh, then go to a, you know, go to a four-year college, not sure what they're going to do and just get like a general business degree and feel faltered. Let them follow their passion, nurture that passion and, and help them plan out what that could look like. Even if they deviate from it and decide not to do it, if they're passionate about it now, at least help them connect the dots as to how they could do it forever. That brings us right back to the sales guys at the Timberwolves who are super passionate about, about the wolves, you know, and, and there's people that have worked at the Timberwolves, like Ryan Tankey and, and um, Ethan Casson, who started as like interns at the Wolves. And they've, you know, I know Ethan Casson like shifted around, he uh, was at uh, 49ers for a bit, but now he's back. Like they are the, the two top guys in the organization now. And it was because they loved basketball and they loved sports and they were able to create super hyper successful careers for themselves in traditional sports. And I don't think either of them like were trying to be pro basketball players. So there's a way to connect your kids to gaming without trying to think they're going to be the next ninja or the next zero. Um, there's a there's a lot of really cool business opportunities and business leaders in esports that your kids should be fans of too. That is beautiful. That's probably one of the better. That is the best answer I've ever gotten to anything like that. That's that's amazing. Um, lastly, and I ask everybody this one, um, for those that are listening and interested in just getting involved, like what are some actionable, actionable steps, um, that you advise them to take to get more involved in esports? Um, you know, if you want to get involved in esports, um, as, as a competitor or a gamer, create your Twitch channel, um, take a look at some of these regional tournaments that happen and, and apply to, to be a competitor in them. Um, that's like, that's easy. That's an easy way to get involved is just to start doing some online tournaments or, um, going to some and, and observing. If you're interested in the business of esports, my greatest recommendation would be to start following thought leaders on Instagram. I mean, myself, obviously, <laughs> but, um, you know, people like, people like, uh, you know, John Davidson, who is, um, the former. Uh, lead of BizDev for GameStop and now is at PRG. Uh, he pushes out a lot of really great content. But Esports Observer, Synopsis Esports, subscribe to those newsletters, start reading. If you're interested on that investment side, take a look at what Roundhill Investments puts out, 76 Capital. Um, they're publishing content that also has, um, 76 Capital publishes a newsletter and at the bottom of the newsletter has jobs that are open throughout the esports industry. Synopsis Esports, I believe, and also Esports Observer have like areas and links that talk more about different job opportunities. Um, and it's never too early to start thinking about, my son's in middle school and he's thinking about where he wants to go with his career. Um, he's really interested in cybersecurity, so he reads a lot on cybersecurity and has had conversations with the University of Minnesota's cybersecurity um, recruitment program 
Um, wow. he's had, uh, he had a call with a woman who works for the NSA. I mean, he's out there doing informational interviews at 13 years old. He's special. So we'll preface that to say he's a special one. But um, if you're interested in the business side of it, just start absorbing yourself in content. I like to block a window of time just to read content an hour a day so that I'm kind of up on what's happening in the industry. And I love curating my LinkedIn to follow a lot of really smart people that I'm learning from in the space and collaborating with. I love it. Yeah, I love that. Absolutely. Um, and I will, I'll try to put all of that in the show notes for the people that you mentioned specifically. Uh, lastly, just give yourself a shout out. Where can people find more about you? What should they be paying attention to? So I, um, LinkedIn is really my business platform. That's where I'm posting um, a lot of information about where I am, what I'm doing, projects that I'm working on. Um, LinkedIn is a great place to connect with me. I respond to people who connect with me and message me and are asking me questions. Uh, I have a, a very basic little website that my, my intern, my summer intern built out for me that is happywarrior.us, so you can peek at that um, and shoot me an email through there. Um, and that's it. And, and keep, um, you know, keep in touch. I've got a lot of really fun things that I'm, that I'm, you know, manifesting and then looking forward to launching in the, in the coming months. So I'd love to, um, connect with people that are interested in the space and, and keep conversations open with them as well. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show. This was, this was rad. I loved all your answers. Thank you. Thanks for having me. It's really wonderful to, um, be able to share a little bit about, my journey with people who are passionate about the space. Once again, thank you so much for listening to the Humans That Game podcast. I loved the episode. I loved everything <laughs> that she said. Um, and I hope that a lot of you just take that advice if you are looking to get plugged into into esports, if you are looking to get more involved. And just as always, thank you so much for taking the time to listen if you have made it this far. And thank you so much for all of the reviews. It allows me to do what I love. It allows me to get more out there and reach more people. So thank you so much. And I will see you next week.